This morning, for this closing message, I want to ask us a question. What will we do? You know, as John prayed there at the opening prayer, he said we're, we're coming off of the mountaintop. We need mountaintop experiences, don't we? We're told that Enoch went from the mountain to the multitude, and then back to the mountain. I have to tell you, friends, that we need mountaintop experiences, don't we? But we need to go back into the valleys, too, don't we? But we don't have to lose the Lord when we return down into the valleys. What will we do? What will we do when we leave here? I want to take those four words and I want to ask four questions. What will we do? What has God put in your heart? Every person here, I've talked to many of you. I wish I could have time to talk to all of you, but many of you I've talked to. And I know what some of you are thinking and what God what God is asking you to do. What will you do? What will you do? You hear the emphasis change. You see, it's the right use of the will that makes the difference in the success or failure in the Christian life. Everything we're told in inspiration, everything, how much? Everything depends upon the right use of the will. That's a pretty important statement, isn't it? What will we do? What choices will we make? Yes, we know what God is putting in our hearts. We know what He's brought into our experience. But what will we do? How will we set our sights? And how will we choose for God? And how will we connect our weakness with the strength of Jesus Christ? Then what will we do? You see, Jesus has done an awful lot for us, has he not? He has redeemed us with his precious blood. He has paved the way, paid the price. He has offered the gift of salvation. What will we do with it personally? Because we have something to do in this situation. How will we respond and then, lastly, what will we do? You know, there's a long distance between the what and the do. Isn't there? There's a distance between those two places. And we can have the conviction, we can have the knowledge, we can have the belief, we can have the desire, but when it comes right down to it, Jesus said, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter in, but he that doeth the will of my heavenly Father. You know, the Apostle Paul writes to us in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24. He says, Know ye not that they which run a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run, or so run, 
that ye may obtain. I want you to notice something here. First of all, it's clear to us that we must run if we will obtain. We must run. And we must run in such a way that we shall obtain. The what, in this case, is to run. The will, in this case, is to choose to run. And to choose to run in the strength of Jesus Christ. And it is, yes, you, and it is me that must run in the race. And we must actually run and not just talk about getting ready to run and about how good it will be when we run and what advantages we will receive if we run. We must run. And then going down to verse 26, he says, I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep my body under and bring it into what? Subjection. Oh, people don't like those kind of words. It sounds too much like a monk in a monastery, doesn't it? But it's how it's brought into subjection. Lest when I have preached to others, I myself should be what? A castaway. Yes. Now this brings it down very personal, doesn't it? Because now what Paul is doing is he's telling us about how he accomplished this work. He's telling us something about self-denial. Do we like self-denial? Does it feel good? He says, I keep my body under. That means that he makes choices that overrule the flesh in the strength of Jesus Christ. I bring it into subjection, he says. He called it being crucified with Christ. He said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, what? I live. In the life that I now live in the flesh. So he lived it in the flesh. I live by the faith of the Son of God. The same faith. The same faith that made Jesus our Savior, our example in all things, is the same faith that the Apostle Paul took hold of when he died to self. You see, our humanity recoils. Our self-centeredness recoils and is repulsed by the thought of the practical significance that this brings to us personally. I want to tell you about my treadmill. Because this is what came to my mind as I was thinking about the Apostle Paul in his illustration in his day of the Roman Colosseums. The running of the race for a wreath, a very special wreath that one person would win when all these people spent all this time, one person would have a chance for this corruptible crown of a wreath. What they went through, and I was thinking about my treadmill and the workouts that I do on my treadmill. And I can remember when I began to recognize how important it was for me to get on a regular exercise program. This is one of the most 
missed areas in the eight naturals of professing health-minded Christians. Exercise. You know why? Because exercise means that we have to bring our body under in subjection. I didn't feel like it. But let me tell you the treadmill program that I do right now. I start at four miles an hour to warm up at 4% incline for one minute. And then I go to five miles an hour and I increase the incline every time I increase the miles per hour. I do that for another minute and then I go to six for two minutes, 6% and seven for two minutes, and then eight for a minute at 8%. And then I go back down to five again for one minute. And I repeat this process. And I want to tell you that when I get to eight, at 8% incline, I cannot wait for that one minute to get over with. Okay? That's how I feel. When I get to five, at 5% incline, I wish it would last longer. That's what the body does, right? The mind does not like to have to go through this. The body doesn't like it. Well, I do this routine for 22 minutes, and at the end, I am um, literally... Uh, panting, I guess would be the right word, <laughs> sweating, dripping with sweat. My parents have been living with us. They, they just moved out. We sold their mobile home and just got them into a new home that Josiah helped build. And one morning when I call her mom, uh, mom was listening to me and she said, I heard you this morning on the treadmill, and she said, I was praying for you. I thought you were going to die. <laughs> I said, well, sometimes I feel like that. <laughs> there are days that I feel like that. There are other days I just feel like a million dollars. I don't know how that all works, but I guess, you know, there's biorhythms and all these kind of things. But at the end of that... My heart rate is usually up around 176 to 180 beats a minute, okay? My max heart rate is, theoretically, is 176 for my age, okay? So I try to stay right around there. And then I do some sit-ups, and I do some push-ups, and I do some pull-ups, and I do some chin-ups, a lot of ups. And then I take a shower. At the end of that shower, I take a full Montana Spring water, cold shower. Amen. Ever experienced that? Some of my friends started doing that. It's, it's a wonderful experience. <laughs> if you're willing for a great contrast between hot and cold. <laughs> I take a cold shower here at Indiana too, and it's, it's cooler than some places, but it's not as cold as Montana. I can assure you of that. After all of this, I feel great. My mind is sharp. My body feels good. I'm ready to face the day. Why would I go through all that, though, just to feel great? What, what would motivate a person to go through what I just described? I'll tell you three things that motivate me. There are probably other things. Three things that motivate me. 
I spend a lot more time at a desk than I ever used to. A lot more time. A lot more time doing correspondence, being on the telephone. A lot more time sitting there and working on messages. And There's just more desk time. I do a lot more traveling than I used to. So I need vigorous exercise to fight the inevitable consequences of age. You understand? Now people talk about what happens when you hit 40. <clears throat> I've never really been into that. Okay? It never bothered me when I hit 40. It won't bother me, by God's grace, when I hit 50. But I have to admit that I do feel the difference. Okay? Like out there on the tag field, I do feel the difference. <laughs> You know, I enjoy it immensely, but, oh, in the morning, when I get up and take those first steps out of bed, I do feel the difference of age. And if I didn't do something, I wouldn't be able to keep ahead of age. And so far, I'm still able to keep ahead of my young people in the family for a short time. You know, just short bursts. If they keep after me, then eventually they wear me down. <laughs> but that's a motivation. I want to be able to do what I can do to cooperate with the laws of health to keep my body and my mind clear before God. Well, the second motivation is a, a real serious motivation, and that is my body. Unfortunately, I'm one of these people that inherited from my father... I inherited the tendency to produce the bad cholesterol. I have a very good diet. I'm a total vegan and eat healthfully, eat two meals a day, feel great. But my body produces bad cholesterol. And if I didn't exercise and take care of myself the way that I have to, see this is a motivation, you know what would happen? I'd be a healthy-looking heart attack. That's really what would happen. My father, when he was in his, in his 50s, he was doing a... Well, he might have been a little older than that. He was working on one of the treadmills at the hospital where we worked at Hinsdale. He was in the maintenance department. And he was there working on the treadmill, praise the Lord. They asked him to put all the instruments on so that he could test it. Okay, He's a maintenance man. He's working on the, the cardiac rehab treadmill. He got on there and just started going along. Everything thought everything was fine. He had a heart attack on the treadmill, testing it out for the maintenance. Praise the Lord, it happened there. <laughs> cardiac, you know, the doctor was there, the cardiac nurse was there, and took him to the hospital. And he had bypass surgery, and he's been doing great since then. But that's a motivation for me. I don't want to have a heart attack needlessly, right? And number three, I feel great. I think better. I handle temptation better. I have great prayer time with the Lord. Now, some people can't have prayer time on a treadmill, but I love praying. I lock in with the Lord. When I get on the treadmill, I say, good morning, Lord. It's good to be back. Not necessarily back on the treadmill. Back with the Lord. Because once I get on that treadmill, it's, I lock in with the Lord and have beautiful prayer time. 
So those are good motivations. I remember when I was writing this message, I was sitting there thinking about some of the benefits I've experienced over the years because I've been doing this now for a number of years. And some of the benefits, and as I was sitting there, I just had the thought to take my pulse. It was after 11 o'clock in the morning, and my pulse was 56 beats per minute. I praise the Lord for that. That's in the middle of the day. That's in the middle of, you know, phone calls and mind working. and That's a benefit, friends. Now, why am I saying all this? This is simply an illustration like the Apostle Paul used, except it's a very pertinent illustration. I hope that in using this illustration, you get inspired two ways. One, I hope you'll start exercising. I really do. Because I know the benefits, and I can tell you the benefits. I can say all I want to say, but you have to get inspired to exercise. And if you will... And if you'll do it faithfully, and if you'll bring your body under and subject it to Christ, you will experience the same kinds of benefits. Because it's just the way it is. It's the law of cause and effect. That's one reason that I bring this to you. But there's another reason. The Apostle Paul says, Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown. That's what the athletes do. That's what the Olympians do today. That's their motivation to receive a, not a corruptible crown anymore. What is it? It's a gold medal or a silver medal or a bronze medal. They do it. They give themselves to receive this corruptible crown. He says, but we an incorruptible. 1 Corinthians 9.25 that's my real reason for using this illustration because I want you to be motivated to run the race with Christ to receive the incorruptible crown of eternal life. And I want to tell you this. I couldn't have said this a few years ago, but I can tell you today that my exercise program is directly equivalent and equals my growth in grace. There is... The more I persevere in my exercise program, the more I can translate it into persevering in my Christian life. That's good news. What it takes in me to keep my body under, to, to choose to be on that exercise program and to persevere. Sometimes I say to the Lord, when I'm increasing my program, I say, Lord, am I going to die? <laughs> I feel like it. I mean, I, there's been times that I felt like I am not going to be able to get enough oxygen in my body I don't want to give you the impression this is every day. But when I'm pushing myself a little further to keep that heart rate up there to max it out when I'm doing the cardiac part of it. Lord, am I going to die? No. Okay. So I persevere and go beyond the feelings, go beyond the emotions, go beyond the huffing and puffing. And you know that helps me to go beyond it in temptation? That's exciting. There's a correlation here, friends. So... The motivation is not just for exercise. The motivation is for us to run the Christian race for the incorruptible crown. You see, there are millions of spectators. Millions of people in this world are attracted and admire our nation's Olympic performers. The best in the world. But spectators, spectators, 
will never experience the thrill of victory. Never. A spectator will never experience the thrill of victory, and so it is with Christianity. We may admire the Apostle Paul. I have often admired the Apostle Paul. I have often reproved myself, chastised myself, because as I look to what the Apostle Paul was willing to go through when he met Christ on the road to Damascus, I admire the Apostle Paul. I am awed at times by the love expressed through the Apostle John as he writes so beautifully of the love relationship between himself and his Savior. And I've often been broken by the sacrifice of Jesus for me. But you know, the desire, the conviction, all the admiration and the intellectual belief that it's possible All of this is not enough to take you from being a spectator to become a runner in the race. And I ask the question today, not for you to answer me, but to answer in your own heart. Today, are you a runner? Have you accepted the challenge of running or are you only intellectually sitting on the sidelines as a spectator in this great race for an incorruptible crown? You see, there are certain things that runners do. Runners strive. Jesus says, strive to enter in at the straight gate. Strive, he says, strive to enter in at the straight gate. That word, and that verse is taken from Luke 13, 24. That that word strive means that we are willing to struggle. We are willing to contend, to compete against an adversary, to fight, to labor fervently. That's what striving is. That's what striving is in the Christian experience. And runners fight. The Apostle Paul says, fight the good fight of what? Is it a fight? Oh, it's a fight. What's the fight? The fight is the feelings. The fight is the emotions. The fight is there. And the fight is to choose to put my will upon the side of Jesus Christ when everything inside me feels like giving up the fight. When I don't feel good. When it doesn't seem possible. When there's a feeling of discouragement or hopelessness. It's then that I need to be willing to fight by faith, that good fight of faith. You see, that is the only way, as it says here in 1 Timothy 6, verse 12, that we will lay hold upon what? Eternal life. Don't you like that? He says that we will lay hold upon. That means that we won't just be laying hold upon some Olympic medal or some wreath that will dry up and fade away. We are laying hold upon eternal life, an incorruptible crown. And runners do. Runners do run. Jesus said, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. Matthew seven twenty one. You see, friends, for most of us, the struggle is being willing to run. I have a lot of people talk to me 
about exercise. Many people talk to me about exercise. It's a sideline. You know, that's not what we preach about. And I have a lot of people talk to me inadvertently or as a side about what I do for exercise. Well, one of the biggest problems I find for everybody, including myself, is being willing to run. Being willing to exercise. is isn't the problem whether they can exercise, whether they're able to physically exercise. It's choosing to exercise and actually doing it, being willing to do it. And then the second thing that we run into in the Christian experience and of the parallel of exercise and running this race is learning how to run effectively. Learning how to run effectively. I mean, my treadmill is set up so that I could do all different kinds of... I have a customized program that I do, but I can set up all kinds of programs on my treadmill. I had to decide what works for me, how to do it. Because if you do it wrong, you know what happens? If you do it wrong, if you do it too hard, and you push yourself too hard the first few times you do it, you know what you'll end up doing? Hurting yourself and getting discouraged. Okay? So, and then if you baby yourself, I have, a, I have what's called a fat-burning routine and a cardio routine. Okay? And if the fat-burning routine is just kind of like a giggle ride for Moab bikers. Okay? That means that I'm just relaxed and enjoying it. My heart rate never goes over 130. Oh, it feels so good. There's no pressure. Oh, this feels good. So, you know what my temptation is? Let's just do fat burn today again. <laughs> no. Need cardio today. Okay. Learning how to run effectively. And then, when we fall. Oh, friends, how I used to go under when I would fall in temptation. And I want to tell you today that one of the greatest blessings of my Christian experience is learning that when I fall, I shall arise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord shall be a light unto me. The Lord shall be a light unto me. He will be. And we can, by faith, that good fight of faith, reach back up and take hold of the Lord and continue on. And it doesn't have to take days. It used to take me days sometimes, literally. Because when I would fall, then I would hear the old devil saying to me, you're never going to make it. It's never worked. And then I would be discouraged and I'd do something else and, and it was just like a snowball effect. No, we don't have to do that. When we fall, we can respond to the Spirit of the Lord calling to us and by faith we can confess our sin and if we're, if we're faithful to confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And friends, that helps us move from victory to victory. And when we fall... We can turn that defeat into a victory and keep moving on. And the last area that we struggle with in the Christian race is persevering in right faith. I didn't just say persevering. Oh, I used to persevere. I used to persevere, but it was not right faith. It was not under the right terms. It was under my own steam. It was trying harder and harder. And my striving was in the flesh. And striving in the flesh doesn't work. And I don't know how it is for you, but when I used to just strive in the flesh, the devil would let me go along and think I was doing pretty good. And then 
kicked my feet right out from under me. Just seemed like he could just do it at, at will. Just poof, kicked my feet right out from under me. Striving in the flesh will never work for us. But perseverance in right faith, that means perseverance that uses our willpower, our power of choice to connect us with Jesus Christ, not to try to overcome sin in our willpower. I used to use my willpower as a power against temptation. And willpower is no power over sin. Willpower is only power to make a choice to connect with Jesus Christ. Amen. When we come to understand that, it will revolutionize our Christian experience and we can run the race with patience. I recently did a father-son outing with my son, Josiah, and another friend of ours who had come to visit us. He's 18 years old. And Elaine and the girls were involved in a Montana women's retreat. They were doing a couple of seminars for the retreat. So they had their own little women's weekend, and we had our boys outing. And we went to Glacier Park. And the three of us camped out together. And I think we pleased the ladies, because we did better than they thought we could do without them. Didn't we, dear? <clears throat> they tried to pack everything for us for the right food and everything, and, and I think they thought, and I found out I was right, they thought that we would, being the way boys are, our meals would just be grabbing whatever was on top, just getting whatever was quick, and eating it, and then they were looking to see what we would come back with. Well, we surprised them. We actually cooked meals and put foods together like we were just really knew what we were doing. <laughs> really surprised them. Had some good meals. Well, we wanted to take a special hike. We were going to take a hike, and so we, we were, I don't know, we were probably a quarter of a mile from our campsite, and I thought, oh, the video camera. I need to take the video camera. So we'd never been to this place we were going to go. So I said, boys, I'm going to go get the camera. So I ran back to get the camera and got it and got back to where I thought I had left them. They were gone. That's uh, okay. They probably went to the trailhead. I knew where the trailhead was, and I figured Josiah said, well, come on, Thomas, my father will find us at the trailhead. This is what I started thinking. That's okay, though. I know where the trailhead is. It's okay they didn't wait for me. Didn't bother me. Just a little bit, okay? <laughs> Just a little bit. Well, I got to the trailhead, and they weren't there. And that bothered me a little bit more. Here I went, I went all the way back, and I even ran to get the camera. Why didn't they have the courtesy to wait for me? I thought, yeah, Josiah probably told him, to, oh, we'll just go up the trail. Father can run. He can catch up to us. <laughs> this is what my mind's doing, okay? So I started up the trail thinking these kind of thoughts. You know that verse that says, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ? Well, I'm just here telling you that I don't always do it right, okay? But I was on my way up the trail, thinking, I wonder why, why didn't they wait for me? Well, 
I went up the trail, and I'll tell you, the trail got steep really quick. That didn't help me at all, okay? And I didn't find him on the trail, and I went up the trail, oh, you know, a few hundred yards, and I whistled. The Lord reminded me of the whistle. We have a thing in our home. Whenever I whistle, I have a very loud whistle. I won't do it right now. I have a very loud whistle, and whenever my family, anybody in my family hears that whistle, they come to me wherever I am, always. Just something we've had since the children were little. So I thought of this, and I thought, great, I'll just whistle. Josiah will come to me. I whistled, and I waited, and I whistled again. I thought, why isn't he coming to me? Oh, he's probably hiding somewhere on the trail. (laughs) Okay, so anyway, nobody came. So I came back down the trail. I thought, well, I wonder if I may have missed them. Maybe it's me, okay? Maybe it's me. So I went back down the trail. I went to the trailhead. I actually went back to the place where I thought I had left them. Nobody's there. So I whistled down there. And I whistled at the trailhead. And I whistled and I whistled. No response. And these thoughts are going through my head. Now I have to tell you, and I'm thankful to be able to tell you that the Lord was calling to me, okay? I wasn't getting angry, but I was surmising in my mind. I mean, I'm thinking, what is going on here? And so I went back up the trail again. And so I went up the trail, and of all things, I whistled up the trail, and somebody whistled back at me. And that really confused me, because Josiah never whistles back at me, he just comes. Well, they didn't come, so I went back down the trail. And as I'm going down the trail... I'm feeling the intensity. You know, I've wasted a lot of time, and I've been up and down this thing now twice, and I'm the one who volunteered to go back to get the video camera. And I'm coming down the trail, and the Lord is calling to my heart, be careful what you think. And just after I had that thought, Josiah popped up from the trailhead around the corner. And my humanity wanted to say, what? <laughs> Josiah. The Lord said, be careful. Ask him. Ask him first. So I did. So, Josiah, where were you? He said, Father, we've been waiting right at the place where you left us. (laughs) You have? Yeah, we've been standing there this whole time wondering what happened to you. And he said, I heard you whistling. You did? He said, yes, but it was echoing off the mountains. And he said, I kept saying to Thomas, where? The other friend was Thomas. Thomas, where is that coming from? That's my father. But I can't tell which direction it's coming from. And he said, my father is going to be expecting me to respond. I always come when he whistles. It's something we've always done in our family. He said, where is it coming from? And Thomas said, well, it sounds like it's over there. And then I whistled again. No, I think it's over there. (laughs) And they said, we just waited. And we waited. And we finally decided, maybe you missed us. And you went up the trail, so we decided we'd come up the trail. Oh, I tell you, friends. 
I'm thankful. I'm thankful that I did not respond the way my flesh could have responded and where that would have taken me down that path. You see, I have to say to you, in all honesty, that I call this a partial victory of faith. Now, please don't misunderstand me. There's no fence sitting. But do you remember the man in the Bible that Jesus touched his eyes? And he said, I see, I see men as trees walking. Is that the kind of healing Jesus did? Why was that? Inspiration tells us it's because the man had just enough faith, but not enough faith. I had just enough faith to sort of zip my lip, if you know what I mean. Just, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to, I know this is the Lord calling to me. I had enough faith to let myself be subdued and let my son talk first. And then I got more faith as the picture started to unfold. Now that isn't sufficient, is it, friends? And I'm just being very honest with you. But it was a good experience, and we had a good conversation going up the trail. Because I was, could I say, evil surmising? Yes? I mean, it wasn't real evil, but it's like, oh yeah, it's probably what Josiah's doing. And he wasn't doing any of that. He's down there waiting patiently for Father to come. I took the wrong road. <laughs> coming back from the campsite. Well, it wasn't the end of the lessons for the day because as we walked up the trail, on our way to our destination, which was nine miles away, these two boys saw this mountain. Do you understand? They saw this mountain looming up here. And they said, let's climb that mountain. And I looked up at that mountain and I said, never could do it. <laughs> and they both said, yes, we can. And I said, even if we could, we couldn't do it today, not in the time that we have. And they both said, yes, we can do it. And then I asked the Lord. And the Lord said, yes. And I met the challenge of those two young boys. And I praise God. We need to learn how to enter in with our young people. We need to learn how to enter in when they're asking us to eat their weed soup <laughs> at three years old. And we need to enter in when they're saying, yes, Father, we can climb that mountain. Now, you have to know that, and some of you do know, that I am afraid of heights, okay? I'm not as afraid of heights in some respects as my wife is, okay? But I am afraid of heights, and this was a very high mountain, okay? I didn't know how high until we got back down and we looked at the maps, because this was not a planned mountain climb. But I tell you, the Lord had blessings in store for me, and I wish you could have been with us to see how these two young men helped and encouraged me to go up that mountain, now again, I have to tell you, I did not reach the summit. I reached the ridge that we could see from below, the false summit, that had a 3,000-foot sheer drop on the other side. Okay? I climbed, the mountain was 8,800 feet. 
we climbed it in three and a half hours there. And, and how, how long was it total? About seven hours, something like that. But they, they left me locked on the ridge. <laughs> and they helped me get to that point. And I mean, it was a growing experience for my faith, one step at a time. And those young men did not make fun of me. They did not discourage me. They gave me every bit of encouragement. They did everything they could to encourage me in that process. And I made it to the point where I felt that to go beyond was presumption. Okay? <laughs> For me. And the summit was right there. And there was a part of me, the summit was not more than 80 feet. Was it, Josiah? Probably not more than 80 feet. And there was a part of me that said, oh, I want to do it. And then the wind blew, and it just about felt like it was going to blow me off. And I said, no, I'll stay right here. And they went up that, and I was, you know, the Bible says pray without ceasing. It's one of the times I can remember that I felt like I was praying without ceasing. Because as they went the final 80 feet up to the peak of the summit, where it was sheer thousands of feet, I was praying, 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 because I couldn't see them during the hardest part of it. I couldn't see them. They were climbing up through channels in the mountain. And I was just praying, praying. And finally, I saw them peek over the top, and I said, Lord, save them. You know, just, and then I took a picture of them. But just the feelings, because I was just seeing them up there and knowing that there was thousands of feet just made my, my legs go like water. Okay? My, my brother Neb back there, <laughs> he, he's entering into this. <laughs> We've been on some high places together. <laughs> anyway, what a beautiful experience. And you know that coming down from that mountain that day, coming down, as I prayed to the Lord to give me new, a, a deepening to go beyond the fears. All of a sudden, I said to the boys, and they both, they, they were both amazed. I said, the fear is gone. I can go it alone. And they looked at me, and I looked down. I said, I don't understand it. But I said, it's got to be the grace of God. I've been praying. It's gone. I can let go. <laughs> let, let me go. I can do it. I can go down. And because going down sometimes is harder than going up. For me at least. You know why? Because I can see all this stuff down there. <laughs> and what it feels like in here. Going up, you can just, what I do sometimes is I just, I won't look over there. I just hold on. And I don't look behind me. And I just say, okay, I, so one little step. And I cling to the rock. Oh, the lessons of persevering as we run the race with Jesus Christ. And what a blessing it was for me. And I told my son and Thomas, the other young man, I said, what an encouragement you two guys were to me today. How you encouraged me on the Christian walk in this climb. Are we willing to go to new heights, brothers and sisters? Are we? God is calling each one of us here. We are a year closer to the kingdom of God from last camp meeting. And God is calling us higher. 
Are we willing to come up higher and heed the call of our Savior? Because if we will, it will take a choice of faith. It will take a choice that takes us beyond our feelings and beyond our emotions. And Philippians 2, 12 and 13 says, For it is God that worketh in you to will and to do. So did he climb the mountain for me? Okay, boys, I'll stay down here and I'll pretend I climbed the mountain. God has done it for me. No, I was with the boys and God was working in me to will and to do, to give me the power to go beyond my fears to new heights that I'd never been to before. And I've been higher than that. I've been higher than that on a mountain climb before, but it took me to new heights for my faith and how I had to climb to get there this time. You see, it will take faith. Romans 12, 3 says, God hath dealt to every man and woman and child the measure of faith. Do you believe that? God plays no favorites with who he distributes faith to. We all have a measure of faith given to us. And if we have the faith like a grain of mustard seed, we can say to this mountain, be removed. So, do we all have enough faith? Do we? We have enough. God has given us at least the grain of a mustard seed, or he wouldn't, he's given it all, he's given us a measure, but we need to increase that faith. The disciples said, Lord, increase our faith. Will he increase our faith? Oh, he increased my faith on the mountainside that day. My son knows how he increased my faith on the mountainside that day. But friends, Romans ten seventeen says that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Can we expect our faith to increase if we are not spending time in the word of God? You see, Christian runners will surrender self and by faith deny the momentary self-indulgence that the spectator will not deny. And we'll deny the momentary indulgence that we might have success for the incorruptible crown. The spectator, on the other hand, admires the Christian runner, admires and says, wow, I really envy that person. That's really great. They admire their determination. They, they admire what they will do to give all to this race while sitting on the sidelines eating popcorn and hot dogs. But when it comes down to moving off the sidelines and putting the popcorn and the hot dogs away and getting into the race, they've got something else that they need to do. Don't let Satan keep you on the sidelines, brothers and sisters. I want to encourage you to be a runner today that's committed to running the race that is set before us. Committed to run the race the way Paul says, not as one who beats the air wildly, but with a certain running that you will obtain. I want you to start training. I mean seriously training with communion with God in prayer, the study of his word and bringing the thoughts into captivity to Christ Jesus. And I'd like to encourage you to find someone to be accountable for, accountable to. You know, it's very interesting that in the training process, we can have an accountability that will help us. 
Many of you probably recognize the name Lance Armstrong. Now, my son is an avid biker, and so once in a while, he, when this Tour de France is going on, even though we don't get the newspaper, he manages to find out, you know, whether Lance is going to win it again this year. Five-time Tour de France winner. Does anybody here that rides bikes have any idea what that means? I want to tell you something to put it in perspective. Lance Armstrong in this last Tour de France averaged 33 miles per hour for the entire race. Does that mean something to somebody here? I have gone over 30 miles an hour on my bike in a few situations for a short period of time. He averaged 33 miles an hour for the entire race. Is that determination? Do you think that means something about his commitment and training? Again, the Apostle Paul uses the illustration of the Roman games. We can talk about the Olympics. We can talk about Lance Armstrong. But let me ask you a question. Does Lance Armstrong have a trainer? Yes, he does. Can the trainer ride as fast as he can? Can the trainer win the Tour de France? No. What good is he then? Well, let's think about it, friends, because I want to use this as an illustration here. Lance Armstrong has a trainer because he needs somebody that will keep their eyes on him and say, Lance, you're pedaling inefficient on those hills. Lance, you're in the wrong gear. Now, I'm just using these examples. Probably Lance doesn't use the wrong gears. But that's what a trainer does. That trainer can get on the bicycle and, and describe to Lance. He can show Lance what he's talking about, but he'll never perform on that bike like Lance can perform. We need somebody beside us, somebody that, that is a friend, that is a helpmate, that can help us be accountable. The wise man said, two, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. If they fall, listen to this, if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 and 10. We need helpmates. We need a friend. We need some companion. My wife has been a tremendous helpmate to me, and I have to tell you that that companionship, that accountability is tremendous. And I tell you that when you have a special friend who makes you accountable, when you have someone who understands the walk that you're walking and you know their weaknesses and they know your weaknesses and you're praying for each other, you need that kind of help. We can see things in one another and we don't have to be intimidated. We know that they love us, that they are encouraging us, and all they want is for us to be successful in the race that's set before us. We need to go forward. and We need to take inventory. We need to make some commitments, friends. I love making commitments. You know why? Not because they feel good. Just like my treadmill. But I tell you, I love being on the treadmill. You can ask my wife. That may seem strange to you, but I love being on the treadmill because I love what it's doing 
for my health. And I love being a Christian. Do you love being a Christian today? Because of how it is making my real life. The more I trust God, the happier I am, the more contented I am, the better life is, the easier it is to understand why trials happen. When I do it my own way, you know what it's like doing it your own way, friends. We need to make some commitments. And don't let the next week slip away before you make some commitments and be accountable to your Lord and to someone that's close to you. Be accountable for the mutual running of the race together. And I'd like to close with these words. Let us lay aside. Listen to this. This is race preparation. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Is it true? We know he's the author. Can you hope and believe he's the finisher? I have that hope. The author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. That's what Jesus went through for us. That was his final end of the race on his earthly mission who endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Hebrews 12, 1-4. Do you know that that same Jesus, who is the author and who will be the finisher, if we look to him, we can experience the same power to accomplish the race for the incorruptible crown that is set before us. We can win the race. And all of us can receive the crown of life. Not one. We can all receive the crown of life. And you know what Jesus offers to us, friends? Jesus offers to us to sit down in his throne with him. What a privilege. What a blessing. Is it worth whatever we have to go through? Is eternal life rich enough with Jesus Christ? It is. Let us not weary. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us. And as you leave this place today, the devil will harass you with doubts. The devil will throw trials at you. He may hit you before you ever finish your packing he will throw anything and everything at you that he can. But the Lord will be at your right hand. And the Apostle Paul says in Colossians 1.29, Striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. God will work mightily in each one of us today, if we will let him. And he will demonstrate to us that he can keep us to the uttermost if we will hold on to him by faith.
Oh, brothers and sisters, I don't know what lies between us and the next time we see each other. But I'm praying for you. And I love you. And I want you to be successful in the same race that I want to be successful in. I want us to enter the gates of heaven as a joyous, happy family to live throughout all eternity with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's run the race together. And if I can be an encouragement to you at some point in your experience, by God's grace, I want to be that encouragement to you. And I know I can say that for many of the people here that you have seen working and assisting in this camp meeting. We want to encourage one another to press on in this race for eternal life. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.